Thank you. Manny, great to be here with you. Congresswoman Jackie Spear. Doesn't it feel like a million years ago that we um we sat here and had that book talk pre-pandemic? What was it was the launch of your book? It was 2018. Oh my god. So it was a few years ago. Wow. What does it feel like to be back here right now? What's coming up for you? Oh, I just I love the community that you have created here. So it's great to be back and to see friends and new friends and recognize that you know we need more of you know Manny's we need to maybe create a um, means by which you can syndicate your name and create franchises around the bay area because uh this is this is what community is about Thank you, put, you so much. take one put one in san mateo county where would we maybe, do it maybe where not. would we do in san mateo where do you think it should go we should go on fourth avenue in san mateo third or fourth avenue okay all right, okay. so you're retiring soon from Congress. That's Next right. Gig, I can, I can be your franchisee. <laughs> yeah, we could open up a Jackie's on Fourth Avenue. I would go to that. Um, you know, tonight's tonight is going to be a conversation between the two of us, and but also really a conversation amongst all of us. So we're we're going to talk for a little bit up here, and then uh, we're going to open it up to the audience to ask questions of the Congresswoman. Um, but first, I kind of want to just take a, a point in time, check in with you. How are you feeling about Congress right now? We're, we're going to talk about, you know, your upcoming retirement, and reasons for that and your plans and all that. But right now, today, how are you feeling about your colleagues, the 117th Congress in general? You've been in Congress for a while. So what's your perspective on Congress these days? This is not a good day for you to ask that question. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> That's why I have cider and you have white wine. <laughs> You know, I believe in the system. I've spent almost 40 years now in legislative office, and I'm proud to say I've gotten a lot done. But I feel in many respects that we take one step forward and two steps back. Can I give you an example? Please. That happened just today. Please, please. So two years ago, three years ago, I was able to get a bill through with a great deal of help from the Speaker of the House, our Nancy Pelosi, that created a window for service members who are victims of medical malpractice to be compensated. Because under a what's called the Ferris Doctrine, which is, dates back to 1950, and it was a decision by the Supreme Court that basically found that service members could not sue the federal government. Now, when you are in theater, when you are in a you know, war zone, that applies. But if you are here in the community at a base where there is a you know, medical facility and you get bad care, you should be able to be compensated for it. So it was a huge change. And it it came to me because a young soldier in the army uh, was a victim of that. He had um, gone in, um, was complaining about um, coughing and, a, and, a, and some problems he had. They did all of the appropriate tests. They actually identified on his record that they had found a malignant tumor and he needed to be referred to an oncologist for care. Uh, he wasn't referred. Six months later, he 
comes back, he's coughing up blood. And this is at some kind of veterans hospital or no, army it, hospital? No, military, military hospital. treatment facility. Right, right, it's right. It's called an MTF. And it was in at Fort Bragg. And the result is that he ends up going outside the system to get care because it was just shocking. So he comes and meets with me. He's got a wife and two small kids, and he now has stage four cancer. And it so troubled me that I, I said, we've got to do something about it. So we get this law through. I mean, this was monumental with a commitment of $400 million over 10 years to provide for compensation. And his claim is now being um, adjudicated through this administrative process. And I just got word today, and he's going to be told through his attorney tomorrow that his claim is being denied. Why? Because they have now interpreted the Federal Tort Claims Act to require not only has there has there has been a standard of care and a breach of that standard of care, um, but two other elements. And their argument is he's, I guess their argument is he's still alive and it didn't impact the quality. I mean, didn't impact his care because he ended up getting care. Um, so that's where I feel sometimes we take one step forward and two steps back. So that's why it's not a good day. I see that. On well, the other hand, okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, take us home, Jackie. <laughs> on the other hand, after 10 years of dealing with the issue of military sexual assault and the fact that these cases needed to be taken out of the chain of command, because oftentimes the perpetrator was in the chain of command and uh, or the best friend of someone in the chain of command. We were successful late last year in getting these cases taken out of the chain of command. Huge seismic change in the military justice system. And today I um, got word that the Air Force just convicted a two-star two general for sexual assault. The first that. time it's ever, I saw ever that. happened. So, so we do make one step forward, two steps back. I guess, well, first of all, I, I like we all just did, I applaud you so much for all of the hard work that you've put into it. How does that feel, um, spending all the hours and the years and the time trying to push the boulder up the hill um, and trying to get this enormous bureaucracy, right? The, the United States government and all the laws associated to try to help people. Do you, have there been more moments where you have felt What's the point? You know, the, the problems are too big. The solution's too complex. Or do you feel like there has been something that has, that continues to, that has continued to pull you forward to try to do the work? And what is that? So in the almost 15 years that I've been in Congress, I have been under Republican control more than Democratic control. So it's always kind of been an uphill battle, but it's really important to be that voice that's pushing back on a script that is so false. And if we don't push back, then we, we get an autocracy. Do you feel optimistic about the future of our democracy? I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story, but I can tell it. Um, I was, in the House Gallery, when the Electoral College um, vote was going to be declared. And I went there 
um, to just witness the California vote. So they were on Arizona. And I'm thinking, there's something funny going on. Why is the U.S. Senator from Texas over here challenging the electoral college vote in Arizona? But under the old 1800 law, you need one senator and one House member. So he trots over from the Senate to do that. And as that is going on and they're speaking to the issue, um, I look at my phone and I see that they that some of the insurrectionists had broken through the barriers. Now, there are thousands of demonstrations that go on all the time there. There are rallies, there are marches, but everyone complies with the rules, except on January 6th. So they broke through the barriers, um, and then we thought, well, surely they're going to keep them from the Capitol. And then all of a sudden, a sergeant from the Capitol Police um, steps up to the dais. Meanwhile, I see Speaker Pelosi, who has just walked out of the chamber, kind of very walking with great um, alacrity. Not that she doesn't always walk (laughs) with great alacrity. but um, And then shortly thereafter, Steny Hoyer, who's the majority leader, is escorted out. So I thought something was up. And the... uh, Capitol Police officer says, the Capitol has been breached. And my heart sunk. It's like, you know, it's like someone telling you there's been a death in the family. I mean, it it was so shocking. And then they said, sit where you are. um, And there's a pouch underneath your chair. And I've been in the gallery many times. You never scooched under to see what might be under there? No. Okay. So why would you? Okay. (laughs) So. I pick up this canvas pouch, I unzip it. There's this kind of aluminum aluminum foiled um, pouch. I tear it open and out pops a gas mask that is instantly operational. And they said, don't put it on yet. And then they announced, all right, we want you to crawl across the gallery under the brass railing to the other side. And as we're doing that, we hear pounding on the chamber doors. Get over to the other side. They say, take your member's pin off. Get down. Lie down. And I'm looking at the chamber doors, and there is now a piece of furniture that's been brought in front of it. And there are plainclothes and um, police officers in uniform with their guns drawn at the um, chamber doors, and they've already broken the glass in the door. And then I heard a shot ring out in the speaker's lobby. And I just remember placing my cheek on that cold floor and thinking, oh my God, I survived Jonestown I'm going to lose my life in this tabernacle of democracy at home. I mean, that's how real it was. Now, there wasn't, you know, a second shock or a third shock. Imagine if those guns had been brought in. Some were actually brought in. Imagine if they had been discharged. I mean, it would have been total bloodshed. Meanwhile, all the other 
people that were on the floor had been taken off and, and moved out. So there was just this group of about 30 of us in the gallery. And then they reached the third floor. The gallery is on the third floor. So they started to say, go out this door. And we heard pounding on the third floor doors. And they said, all right, stop. So we waited. And then eventually they said, all right, you can, you can leave now. As we're walking out of the gallery, I looked to my right and on the floor are insurrectionists. So they had gotten all the way up to the third floor. And they were face down and Capitol Police had guns pointed at them. And then we, you know, we're, were taken to this secure location. And it was like a talk about a COVID um, super spreader event, all these members in this room, you know, without many without masks on. So I, I happened to be familiar with this room and went into this ante room and turned on the TV. And I'm looking at the Capitol and it's like ants crawling all over that Capitol building. And I'm thinking, how are they ever going to get them out? So it was really important for us to stay there and complete the vote of the Electoral College. So we were there until, I don't know, 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning to be able to complete that process and to vote against the effort to overturn the elections in Arizona and Pennsylvania. Now, two-thirds Two-thirds, more than two-thirds of my Republican colleagues, even after this attempted coup, and that's what it was, voted to overturn the elections in those two states. So you ask me, is our democracy in jeopardy? And how can the answer be anything but yes? <clears throat> Thank you, Congressman, for sharing that story. I imagine, you know, sharing a story like that, traumatic story in a way it almost you're almost re-traumatizing yourself so that we can hear it and so thank you for giving us that emotional labor and, and cluing us into what that experience was like for you because no one should have to go through that and you've been through similar circumstances in your life and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry that you had to see that I'm sorry that you had to see I feel like I feel as though our democracy has disappointed you um you've you've given your whole life to it uh the I, the follow-up to that, though, is, you know, this happened in January 6th, and there's been all these things that have happened since then, a committee and a commission, and people have been subpoenaed, and here we are now, and it's, you know, it's late April. Do you feel like we have somehow, there was such a grave situation. How confident are you that we've learned from it and that it won't happen again? I do think there's a recognition on both sides of the aisle in a bipartisan way to address the electoral college vote process. Because if you can overturn the vote of an electoral college from a state and throw it back into the state legislature and then allow the state legislature to identify new electors, then game over, right? So I do think there is an effort to fix that. Now, I will say some of my colleagues are reluctant to, to embrace that because they want you know, a return to some sanity in terms of voting rights. And we have a number of bills to do that. And so they're not willing to fix this until we fix um, the voting rights law. And I don't think we can afford not to fix the electoral college vote process. Are you, um, how, 
you've also been a part of the the helping pass a lot of the big legislative um, agenda items of this president. What would what would your report card of him and his administration be at this point? He gets a a strong B plus A minus. Now that's what I was, by the way, in college. You were B plus. A-. I was a, I was a strong B plus slash A minus. And you know, there's there's a lot in our progressive community that want more. And you know, the truth of the matter is, he ran as a moderate, and he is leading as a progressive. When you think of all the things that he has embraced in Build Back Better. Now, Build Back Better needs to be shrunk, and there needs to be elements that are focused on, and there is a path forward, you know, by another name. But we realize that he doesn't have strong majorities in either house. And as he points out, he says, you know, I've got 51 presidents over there. He is such a good human being. Now, what's he been like to work with? Oh, he's he is just he's wonderful. I mean, I can't begin to tell you how how um, compassionate and authentic he is compared to what we've had. Um, I mean, when you think about what we've had, here's someone who today. I don't know, Jackie, I've blacked that out. I don't even remember one moment of that. I mean, he's now you know, in criminal contempt because he won't turn over documents. And people say, well, he's going to get hit by $10,000 a day. I bet he's going to use all of that PAC money uh, to pay for it and not be held responsible once again. But but back to President Biden. Um, You know, he, when you think that just a few years ago, I was part of the impeachment effort in the Intelligence Committee when we started those hearings. And to think that a president of the United States would withhold lethal um, support that was already authorized by the Congress of the United States because he wants the president of the country to do him a favor and dig up some dirt on his opponent's son. I mean, how is that not a criminal act? How is that not using your office for personal gain? And to think that Zelensky, President Zelensky was, you know, begging for support then because he had been in a, the country had been in a 14 year, well, not 14 year war. There's 14,000 people who've died in the Donbass since 2014. Um, and we're withholding support. And then you've got President Biden who, um, is all in. I mean, we're all all in because we see how malignant Putin is. And yet we had a president who said, well, he says he didn't do anything. So I got to believe him. I I mean, the juxtaposition is so crazy. Yeah. And I don't mean this question as a way to in any way discount what you just said, but it is coming up for me, which is and, and you have a lot of experience in this. How could we have done better pulling out of Afghanistan, do you think? Um, there, is, there is no way to pull out of a country where you are in enemy territory without being at risk for um, you know, fatalities. I mean, over 100,000 people were airlifted out of that country in five days. 
I mean, it, it's it's really truly remarkable. Now, you know, the fact that um, you know you had a an ISIS um, you know backpacker that was was able to detonate and um, you know destroy the lives of thirteen service members it makes me ache. But there is no simple way now. Um, we've had lots of presidents who said we were going to get out of Afghanistan. None of them had the guts to do it. But President Biden did, and he was clear about it. He was getting out. Now, it was also Donald Trump who had cut this deal with the Taliban, who was going to bring them to the United States to sign some peace deal, if you remember. And he had already set that time frame of May 1st. And then we had to negotiate to extend it to August 30th. So we, um, you know, we were really living on borrowed time. And how do you think we're doing with the Ukraine situation? We talk, we've had a, about, uh, gosh, maybe four or five members of Congress here over the last few weeks. Have you? Who have you had? Uh, Jamie Raskin, oh, Ro Khanna, Adam Schiff, Cory Booker, and Kirsten Gillibrand, and Sean Patrick Maloney in a month. Those are those are big names. Yeah, well, this is no, no, the no. main event right no, here. No, no. Um, do you, how do you feel like, you know, are we doing everything we can? Would you say, you know, would you have any criticism about how we're handling the Ukraine war or, 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 or anything that you want us to know to make sure that we know that we're doing well? Kind of how would you grade, you know, how we're responding to the situation in you? So we, we've got to be. Um, and then we're going to move on from war. OK, That's, yeah, this is the last war question. OK, um, you know, in, in fairness, we have a genocide going on right now. and. We have a you know, vicious dictator who is willing to level Ukraine so that it's in his sphere. So he doesn't care that already 10 million people have been displaced. He doesn't care that cities are in rubble. He just wants the land. He, so um, we've, we have given... $13 billion in aid, and it's lethal. I mean, the most recent tranche included helicopters and horitzers and, um, you know, switchblades and even a weapon system that I didn't even know existed that's, I guess, classified, but they had to identify it, the Phoenix. Um, so we've got remarkable um, weapon systems that we have made available um, to the Ukrainian people. Now, you know, the same criticism was given in Afghanistan where you left all this equipment. I mean, there's this concern that if you, you know, you make this weapon, these weapons um, available that the Russians could get it and then uh, reverse engineer them and then they are um, eligible for, um, you know, making similar kinds of systems. But I will say this, I think we have to, I don't think that we can continue to allow Putin to be the um, designer of what are red lines. And I don't think he is going to use a nuclear weapon. I think he will use chemical weapons. Uh, he certainly used them in Syria. I think he will use them again. So I think we need to do more. And is it 
boots on the ground. Um, you know, this arbitrary line that somehow, you know, if an errant bomb shows up in Poland, then we're all in under the NATO Article 5, but we're not going to do anything before then. It's a tightrope for the president. There's a lot of people that say, you know, that's an ocean away. Um, it's Europe's war, not ours. You know, there's a there's a fair amount of isolationism that still exists in this country. Um, but we've got to stop him. And we've got to use all the resources to stop him. I want to talk about some of the new members of Congress. Who do you like? I like who, them. Who are your favorites? Who are you, when you see them across the aisle, you're like, I like that person. I like them all. Can I? No, just, no, 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 who are you like, ooh, that's the one I like. I hope we get to work together on something before January. Let me just say this. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm going to start saying names and blink twice if they're your favorite. <laughs> Let me just say there's extraordinary talent in these young members. They really is. Um, they are smart. They're politically savvy. And they command attention. So I'm actually impressed with these, um, each, each um, election, there's another group that is just as impressive as the group before them, if not more so. And they have, they have a plan. And it's going to be really exciting to watch them try to implement it. When you saw the Connor Lamb AOC like debate happening about the future of the Democratic Party, where Connor Lamb was saying, you know, we need to not talk about these buzzwords, defund the police, whatever. We need to focus on how do we win the middle and use this as least inflammatory language as possible. And AOC was saying, you know, we need to stick up for our values. What were you thinking when, you know, when that was happening? And what do you think is the future of the party? Well, Bill Clinton said this, and, and there is some truth to it. Um, we tend to want to fall in love and the Republicans tend to fall in line. And because we want to fall in love, we criticize each other, right? Um, you can still articulate your position without beating up on a colleague. I love AOC. I think she's an incredible talent. She commands, I mean, to see her um, in a setting where there are young girls, oh my God. They're like, you know, she's like a, she's like a superstar and she is part of the future of the democratic party. And I don't necessarily, you know, agree with defunding. I mean, I clearly don't agree with defunding the police. And the truth of the matter is we're not defunding the police. That's not who we are, but we allow the Republicans to um, put us in a corner and then try and argue against, no, we're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. I mean, critical race theory. Where is their critical race theory being taught in the schools? It's not. But do we have a responsibility to talk frankly about our history, to appreciate that the status quo literally protects a white supremacy that we need to change? Um, 
and it's not that anyone should feel guilty. What we should do is look at ways to, you know, to make it better for everybody. Don't leave Jackie. <laughs> Don't leave Jackie. So Congresswoman, sorry, I keep calling you Jackie. No, call me Jackie. Cause that's my name, Manny. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm coming home and I'm not going to lose my voice and I'm going to continue to speak out and I'm just going to do it at home. Why did you decide to retire? My husband made me do it. <laughs> I don't believe that. Is that really the reason? Well, I mean, it's in part three. I mean, I do believe strong. I said, I, I waited 30 years before I was able to get to Congress. That's a long time to have to wait. And so I got to Congress late. I didn't get to Congress till I was 58. So um, I really think that we've got to recognize that we have an obligation and an opportunity to pass the torch to a younger generation. Um, and I don't have any lock on, on what's right. And, and, you know, I'm not indispensable and I know that. And I had a husband who said, you know, You've been a weekend wife for 20 years. When are we going to spend some time together? So on balance, all like that. I mean, I'm going to turn 72 this year. Mazel tov. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, and I've been in public life for 40 years. I don't mean to cut you off. Do you have more? No. Okay. What are you, um, what do you think you're going to miss most about being in Congress? And what are you most excited about for your post-congressional life? So what I'm going to miss most is um, the, the power the office gives you to really make changes. And I'll give you two examples. Um, I've been over to the Federal um, uh, Correctional Institute institution in Dublin twice now. Um, I don't know if you followed it, but they had what was called a rape club. And the warden, the chaplain, and three other correctional guards have now been indicted. The chaplain? The chaplain, the warden. The warden? And, and three others. What is this? And, uh, you know, we have a, a Bureau of Prisons that's got a huge problem. And so I went over there to talk with the inmates, to talk with the guards. And the first time I went, I had this arrogant, um, assistant, well, he was an acting warden who basically said, well, you know, this has been an embarrassment. I said, an embarrassment? This is a travesty. What's been allowed to happen here? Well, these inmates have been treated like they're pieces of meat. And so then I came back with two other colleagues. So I came back with Karen Bass and Eric Swalwell. And um, you know, we got a lot more attention. I then got Michael Horowitz, who is the inspector general for the Department of Justice, engaged. And so they're doing an investigation. So I, I love the power of being able to make things happen. I just got back from Alaska where I'm um, trying to deal with the issue of uh, suicides among our soldiers. And we've seen a doubling of the suicides in Alaska. So you know, I spent four days up there with the Republican Senator Dan Sullivan um, so that we can make some changes. So 
I feel like it's this hourglass and the sand is leaving so fast and I want to stop it because I want to still get things done. So I'm going to miss being able to get things done. And on the positive side, um, I'm, I'm going to do some travel. I'm going to come home. Hi. <laughs> I'm going to come home and where are we going? Well, I, I've never been to Greece, so I want to go Ooh. to Greece and I want to go. I want to take the Orient Express. Wow. Yes. So, but I also want to, I want to come home and do good at home. So um, there's not a foundation in San Mateo County. Uh, I want to try and help create one. And I, I'm going to look for mischief to get into. Love that. Well, you know where to come I for know. mischief. Um, I only have a few more questions and then we're going to get to the audience questions. I want to ask you about where Jackie the person is, because um, you've been an institution in this part of the best state in the union for so long. Uh, and I wonder if you've, if you've started to find it hard to turn off Jackie Spear, the member of Congress, the policymaker, the problem solver, and find Jackie Spear, you know, the person, the, the woman uh, that, is, that is outside of all that. Uh, and I've asked this question to a few other folks that have been in public life for a long time. I remember I asked it to Barbara Lee because she's been in public life for a long time as well. So is that hard for you? And how, what do you think your process is going to be to rediscover who you are as a person outside of your political identity? You know, I think it's going to be really easy. Okay. And, and the reason why is I have, from the day I got elected, I told myself the way I keep my feet on the ground and not change is to retain the friends that I have now, which was 40 years ago. And one of those friends is right here in the room. Ronnie Kaplan oh. is um, one of the Merry Widows. Um, and we created um, a club that no one wanted to join of um, Jan, you know, here and I first started it to help women who have um, encountered widowhood suddenly. And so um, over the years, we have, um, you know, created a sisterhood that has been very fulfilling as to see it. I was surprised and delighted to see her here tonight. Well, what's your first name? Ronnie. Ronnie. Is it true? Has how how has she changed? Because you know she's she's a professional up here. She, how tell us tell us your side of the story. Now you have been friends for how long? Twenty years. What do you think? <laughs> Jackie called me right after my husband died. I'd never met Jackie before, but she knew my husband because he represented the legislature. And she called me, um, Sue Esponte, she just called and said, I want to take you out to lunch. And it was just a pure woman to woman. She had been through it. She was reaching out to me. I was starved for people who had similar experiences. And that's who she is. I mean, that's who she's calling someone who she knows is in need. And helping her out. I mean, that's what Jackie is. You know, for all of us, for all of us, it's about paying it forward. It's amazing that your heart has not hardened. 
your heart has not hardened over the years because listen, I get pissed off. I mean, I, I do get pissed off. What do you do when you get pissed off? I mean, what, what is, what, how do you relieve that? How have you, because I feel like so many people just in San Francisco politics who are just beginning, like, you know, that are in city council here or like just running and you see they're like, their heart is just stone because they've had to deal with so much, you know, animosity and hey, and that you, you're like, where are you? Where, where's the warmth, you know? And here you are after 40 years of public life and we're kibitzing here and it could tell that you, you still have that openness. And so what is that? How have you done that? Where well, does that come from? You know, I've had a lot of misfortune in life. And that I think makes you more vulnerable and more willing to um, to feel what others are experiencing. Um, not that I wish it on it on anyone, but you don't want people in elective office who have hearts of stone. You know, look at look at President Biden. I mean, his life experience has made him the compassionate human being he is. Um, and I think, I think that's important in public life. I'm very uh, hesitant because this is my last question. And I, it's, I'm sad because you were one of my first speakers. You, great, you came here and you took a chance on me and you've come here many times since then. And I'm looking at you and I'm sad. Don't be sad. I am, and I, I can see come your, here I all see, the time and now. And I see your eyes are, <laughs> and I see your eyes are watering too, which is not helping. I just have to say, um, because first of all, I feel very lucky to have been able to get to know you and to see you, and we've been lucky to be represented by you out here in the Bay Area. So first, I just want to say thank you so much to Congresswoman Jackie Spear. And my question to you is, is, a, is a question of advice to the people who are here and who are listening on Zoom and who'll be listening after this on our podcast, and on YouTube and all that. What, what do you want your mantle to be? What do you want people to fight for in your name? As you take a step back from this chapter and as others look at your example and take a step forward or just leave this room tonight and think, how can I be more like her? What would your advice to them be and what would you want them to do? I think it's really important to be fearless. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt once said, she said two things. She said, do something every day that scares you. And then at another point in time, she said, um, I'm trying to remember this correctly, you must do the things you think you cannot do. So I, I think it's important to, to use your voice. I mean, as, as hackneyed as that can be, this democracy depends on us being willing to step forward. I, I love to tell the story about the suffragists who, you know, were, were marching every day for months in 1917, 1918. Uh, they had the audacity to 
chain themselves to the fence at the White House. It had never been done before. And then 35 of them were arrested. And it was called the Night of Terror. It was November 14, 1917. And they were taken to jail and they were beaten up and um, they were spat upon and they were thrown, rotten eggs were thrown at them. And someone had, uh, you know, something um, that hit them right between the eyes. And they, they persevered, right? And because of them, because they did what was audacious and seen as being, you know, reprehensible by some, women got the right to vote, or at least white women got the right to vote in um, 1920. So let's fast forward. 99 years later, we still don't have the Equal Rights Amendment that's been now ratified by 38 states, but is not in the constitution. Even though of the 193 countries in the UN, 165 have an ERA in their constitution and the United States does not. So I tell you that only because we have an obligation to pay it forward. And so I want people to remember me in those words. So I have something for you, Manny. No. Yes. I didn't get you a pet. What are you doing? What is this? A present. Did you know about this, Angelina? Katrina, did you? Are you? What is this? Can I open it yes, here? Yes, you that should right? open it because I oh want you God. to use it. Every time you do one of these coming, moving forward. This is such nice, this is such a nice ribbon. Oy. You can tell a lot about someone based on how they open a present. Oh my God. It is a United States Congress mug. <laughs> that is so sweet. So you can drink your wine in there, and yeah. no one will know you're drinking wine. I'm not. I'm not above that. Oh, that is so nice. Thank you so much. Wow, that is so sweet of you. No one has ever given me a present on this stage, so well, thank you. New standards. See, we got to now. Now I expect a present every time I interview <laughs> someone. All right, let's get to audience Q and A. Who's got a Who's got a question? Please. Yeah, just project it. Yeah. Did everyone hear that? Yes. Okay. Great. Yeah. So, is it in the water? Is that what you're asking me um, for Bay Area? When you look at the Bay Area and the number of women serving in Congress, it's pretty significant. And then when you realize the Speaker of the House is from San Francisco, who, by the way, is going to go down in history as the greatest speaker ever, ever. 
So, you know, we take her for granted sometimes, I think, because she's the speaker. But I mean, what she has done and how she has conducted herself. Uh, I love talking about the Affordable Care Act. Not only have millions and millions of people gotten health care as a result of that, but every one of us who has employer-supported health insurance has gotten a benefit out of it because all of the health plans had to elevate so that all the preventative care has no co-pays. Your kids could stay on the policy until they're 25. I mean, if you go through the list, it's amazing. Well, the Obama administration wanted, because it was such a struggle, the Obama administration wanted to um, just do kitty care. They wanted to end up just doing a kind of a, a, a bigger child health insurance program. It's called the CHIPS program. And it was Speaker Nancy Pelosi who said, I'm not doing kitty care. I'm doing health care for everyone. So amazing. And she does it in four inch stiletto heels, I might add, but uh, which I can't even wear anymore. Um, so uh, I think that we're very open to leadership that um, is is different and always have been. So, you know, that's kind of Bay Area wide. I think too that women um, and persons of color and um, women of color and LGBTQ community uh, have recognized that, why not me? in part because they've seen leadership around them that looks like them. So, um, okay, I think I've answered the first part of your question. The second part of your question is about um, working with women across the aisle. It's tough. It's very tough. Because um, they are a lot of them have, um, how can I put this? I started to say drunk, drunk the Kool-Aid, but that would be inappropriate for me to use that term. But um, they, um, they, you know, they, they feel compelled <clears throat> to um, follow the, you know, follow the leader and not to challenge the leader or, um, you know, so they get trotted out when we do an issue like abortion. All the women are then put on the floor and they have to speak on it. I mean, they're, they're used a lot because there's still not very many of them. Um, so I, I have more success working with um, moderate Republican men. Because frankly, there aren't very many. I can think of only one moderate Republican woman. All right, let's get the next question. Susan, we'll make our way this way. First, I, I mentioned I was in her district during the 2008 presidential election. And two years later, we fought the ACA wars together. We did. Yeah, the town hall in uh, Happy Bay, where the two party invaded. <clears throat> we but this is a question about Build Back Better because I was sitting at home watching that episode. And I think of you 
more as a pragmatic progressive. Um, and so it felt like they kept the progressives kept pushing for perfection too long, and then it was too late, and we lost the momentum. Was anyone in the back room saying, let's take what we can get with Mansion and Cinema and get that passed and celebrate it and, and do the midterms and then come back and pass the rest? It was just frustrating to watch. What was going on behind the scenes? Well, behind the scenes, the speaker was trying to count to 218. And she only had four votes that she could lose. So when you realize that you need, you know, the progressives represent about 100 votes, she had to somehow find a way to work with them to get the infrastructure bill passed and then to get the Bill Back Better bill passed. Bill Back Better, we overreached. We just overreached. And we're going to pay that price. I mean, I would be thrilled right now if we can get, you know, 1.2 trillion. That would be, you know. Well, because, you know, we had to get to 218. So all of a sudden, you know, a very small group of people can be very powerful. And in the Senate, you know, one person can be very powerful, right? And Joe Manchin has proved that over and over again. I kept saying, I'm one of the co-chairs of the Democratic Women's Caucus. I kept saying, but what is Manchin going to agree to? All right, Chris. Thank you for your comments. Um, you mentioned President Bill Clinton, which makes me think about a villain country. I'm from Arkansas. Um, if you, if you, Take oh, Chris Jones? Oh, this is Chris Jones. I'm sorry, I didn't know that. Okay. Well, tell them who you who you are. Um, I'm Chris Jones, I'm running for governor of Arkansas. Just okay. hiding there in the back. Is a candidate for a governor right here? Well, tell us about you. <laughs> no, no, no. We want to hear about you. Come on, this is your opportunity. Do not squander a moment of It's very important for us that live on the coast to listen to people in the middle of the country. If you look at a map right now, 
the blue part of America is on either coast and the red part of America is all through the rest of the country. And because of the electoral college, uh, because of um, the house by population, the Senate um, by state, we have got to be listeners more than um, advocates some of the times. I had, um, on one of my town halls, I had, um, um, what is her name? Uh, yeah, Arlie um, Hochschild, who wrote Strangers in Their Own Land. And she spent, I don't know how many months over the course of a year in St. Charles Parish in Louisiana. And she became interested in doing this after the Tea Party had kind of taken hold. And she was listening to what middle America is concerned about. Um, interestingly, um, we're talking about Pell Grants. And they don't want their kids to get Pell Grants and go to college somewhere else and never come home again. Um, they believe that problems should be solved at home. Um, they aren't big fans of Social Security, believe it or not. So in order to really unite the country, we have to listen to each other and find ways to come to common ground. We disparage rural America on the coast. We think we're better than, and we are not better than. So um, if we did more listening and um, found ways to connect, we would be in a better position to, I think, govern in a way that would be more universal in the country. And Chris, what do you think oh, about that, Chris? I think you're exactly right. And I'll say this quickly. You know, our list, I can't hear out of my right ear, so I've always had to listen. And I found that I've gone to the reddest of red places. And by the way, I'm running against Sarah Hutchinson. So it's in many ways ground zero for Trump. Have you cleared the field? Uh, May 25th, I will. Yeah, we, uh, we, have, we have a primary, but we far outrage everyone else. So we're the front runner of the primary. So, how many more times are you coming back here to fundraise? Um, before the primary? None. After the primary? Yes. Excellent. Yes. And so, li listening led us to very simple. I go to the reddest of red places, Harrison, Arkansas, birthplace of the Klan, the grandmother that lived there. We did a meet and greet there. The room about this size, 50 people, I walk in and got a standing ovation. Because they cared about our core message, which is simple, spreading PB&J across the state. PB&J is preschool broadband and jobs. <laughs> so I don't care how, how impoverished you are, how rich, preschool broadband and jobs, they care about it. And we got there by actually listening to everyone. So my degrees don't matter. What matters is, do I care and am I listening? So I agree. And where can people, yeah, round of applause for Chris Jones. And where can people find out more about your candidacy? Uh, ChrisForGovernor.com. We just released one ad last week. We're going to release another one tomorrow. 
Amazing. Check it out. Amazing. Amazing. We have a little under 10 minutes, John. Can I, can I just um, add to that? Yeah, of course. The infrastructure bill has, I don't know, an exorbitant amount of money for broadband. Do you think anyone knows about it? No, because we got so bogged down that, and we, we aren't good sellers of what we have done. We, um, the Republicans speak in headlines and we speak in small print. That's right. That's right. And we need to have broadband throughout this country. Why should a mother have to drive to a McDonald's so her kid can do her, his homework? Really? I mean, that's what's happening around the country. And interestingly enough, in Alaska, broadband's $150 a month. So you have a private first class who's making peanuts, who's in a remote area, who all he does for entertainment is do video games and he can't afford broadband. And so he kills himself. So we're going to do what's one of the bills I'm doing is creating Arctic pay. Good. <laughs> Sounds right to me. So I'm, I'm dating in a Syrian. And he's in the audience and he's a little nervous because he came here specifically because he wanted to meet you. And I know you're, you're Armenian American, not a Syrian, but I wanted to give him the opportunity to ask you something because I know that he's, he I wanted to date you anymore because he's shaking his head yeah. saying, John, you know, why you, are you outing you, me? She's the chair of the Armenian caucus. <laughs> what do you have to say to Congresswoman Spear? That's it. Okay. All right. You'll Honey. Hear, he'll hear from him later. Yeah, I definitely will. Like my husband who, you know, does not want to be ever just, in a Katrina, public. did you just raise your hand? No. Oh, okay. Um, the gentleman right here. But uh, with the primary coming up, I have not really started paying attention to who is on the ballot in the place. And uh, I wonder if you can share any thoughts on the people that I'm going to see on that ballot that are coming up in the few months. So there's five candidates in the primary, three Democrats, two Republicans. And we have a jungle primary, so you have an opportunity to vote for whomever. It's called uh, a jungle primary? That's what we call it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. <laughs> it's not so smart because, you know, you can get 75% of the vote in a jungle primary and still have to run against the next person who got 15% of the vote. It's, you know, it's kind of a screwy system. But anyway, so there's five candidates. I have endorsed Kevin Mullen, who is um, the Assembly uh, Speaker Pro Tem. He was my um, district director when I was in the state Senate. So I've watched him go from city council to state assembly. Um, he's become a great legislator, returned about a billion dollars to the district in his nine years there. Um, there is a city councilwoman from Burlingame who's running, who is a great talent. Um, she, I think, 
needs some legislating experience, but she's a great talent, um, former captain in the uh, military. Um, and there is a county supervisor in San Mateo who's running. Uh, and his name is um, DJ Canapa. And then there's two Republicans whose names I can't remember. All right, I know we have more questions, but I promised Katrina that I would get uh, Congresswoman Spear out of here uh, soon. And so what I would like to do instead of asking more questions is if there are people in the audience that want to have the opportunity to say some words to the Congresswoman one-on-one -on -one before she has to leave and maybe give her your goodbye, I'd rather save it for that. So we're going to end the audience questions here. And I'll just say thank you so much to all of you for joining. Um, one upcoming event I want to bring to your attention is on Monday, uh, a week from today. It's kind of last minute, so that's why I want to highlight it. We have the Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, is coming. I'll be interviewing him um, with a conversation about loneliness, being the nation's top doctor during a pandemic, storytelling. It'll be a town hall. Um, you know, he's always on the news these days. You know what you have to ask him? What why should I ask aren't, him? Why aren't we retaining telemedicine for mental health? Why aren't we retaining telemedicine? Can you, you got that? Okay, great. Because, Thanks. you know, we're, they're starting to abandon that now because COVID is, you know. Well, why don't you come, why don't you come to the, you know, you're going to be, you, after January, I'm going to have come, you be a plant yes. in the audience I will. I'll, I'll to ask to questions. So Vivek Murthy is coming. That will sell out in the next like 24 hours. So if you're interested in uh, getting a ticket to that, go to welcometomanies.com. If you're not a sponsor, we are trying to grow our sponsors uh, over the next few months, very importantly, so we can kick ass uh, and kind of hit the, the ground hard for the midterms. So please become a sponsor of Manny's. It's $36 or more a month to support uh, what we're doing here. And um, uh, very, very important. So if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, you can see Precious Green, our director of programming right there. I want to thank Angelina Polselli, who is also Chaldean. So we've got a very, we've got a lot of, We've got an audience here. Um, we have Precious Green, um, Angelina Polselli, and not here is Darren Gamora. I want to thank the person who served you drinks at the front. Actually, that was me. So thanks to me for serving you beer and wine. Um, was that a thrill for you? I was a thrill for me. It's been a while. And finally, I want to thank Katrina Rill from Congresswoman Spears' office, who has been my contact in the office for years now, over three years, and has really believed in us and has, and has, and has helped um, helped help the congresswoman come here. So thank you, Katrina, so much for supporting. Two of my other staff members here, Raga and Samantha. Oh, I didn't say hello. That. Yes, right. I didn't know they were coming. But amazing. All right. Well, can let's I um, can I just do one public uh, service announcement? Absolutely. If you have um, girls in your life between the ages of ten and sixteen, I do an event. This will be my last one of this kind called When I Grow Up, and it's a special program for like young girls to dream big. Um, it's going to be at Genentech on May 7th at 10 a.m. And one of the, and I bring in women from different career paths to speak to them. One of them is going to be London Breed. Nice. So the mayor is coming. Amazing. And, and we also are having a scientist from Genentech. Medical doctor from the Medical Center, We're going to have probably a scientist from Genentech who's not come from yet. And we will have Kristen Z from ADC7 who will be there. And um, Mayor Breed. Yes. So that's it. So that's five. And I'm still working on a NASA astronaut, but you know, we don't know if we can get her. We had her on two years ago. 
she's training to go to the International Space Station. Nicole Mann, she's from the Bay Area. There's three or four members from the Bay Area who may end up on Mars when they're going to the International Space Station. And she was a rock star and we're trying to get her back, but we don't know where to Well, is it? Three hundred and what a tease! Yeah. what a tease at 